uh, because we live in Kansas and most people believe that we live in flyover country. And that phrase comes from this mindset that the only interesting parts of our country exist on the East Coast or on the West Coast. And so to get to the interesting parts, you got to fly over the boring parts. Well, I looked into this uh, this past week way more than I ever intended to look into this. And there's actually a couple of different ways to define flyover country. For instance, one way is to define it as the most planes flying over without taking off or landing. And if that's the case, the states of Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania are flyover country. There's also another way to define flyover country. Uh, some have defined it as the highest ratio of flights to destinations. In other words, the highest ratio of flights leaving the state rather than flights coming into the state. And if that's the case, West Virginia, Kansas, Mississippi, and Iowa are considered flyover country. No matter how you define that, I believe that without thinking about it, we have taken that concept and we've actually applied it to certain scriptures. That there's certain texts in the Bible that are really flyover country for us. We, we may know that they're in there and we may believe that that's still the word of God, but the only time we ever pay attention to them is from this like 30,000 foot view of it. And we got to look through clouds and we got to, maybe sometimes someone will reference it in something else that they're talking about. Uh, in the classes I teach, I talk all the time about firemanal passages or fire, firemanal verses. And what I mean by that is if I were to come visit your house, uh, and you were to post some stuff, that, some decorations or something like that above your fireplace, above your mantle, what verses would be up there? Well, the text that we're in today in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, I think we treat often like uh, flyover verses or flyover scripture. That none of these verses, I bet, exist over the mantle of our fireplace or in our living rooms or as decoration for us. And I, I, what I want to do today is instead of flying over it like most of us do when we get to this part of Paul's letter, I want to make this our destination. If you open your Bible at Colossians chapter 4 and you look at, at verse, starting at verse 2, you might see a subheading on there that says something like final instructions, or maybe it says further exhortations, or concluding admonitions. Um, and the reason why that exists in there is because Paul, like many ancient letter writers in the first century, that they, they give you this, this letter of all these things that they want you to pay attention to, and then at the end, because of all of that, they kind of rapid fire some instructions to do with that. Hey, because I said all of this, make sure you do this, make sure you do this, make sure you do this. Now, the danger of having that heading right there, though, is that it lends us to be in this space where we fly over this text, that we separate it from everything else that Paul has said, and I think that that would be unwise on our part. So as we look at these texts, and we're going to break them down a little bit, I want to make sure that we're still connecting it to what it is that Paul's communicating to the Colossian church as we've been in this for the last couple of months now. And so let's start with verse 2. Here's what Paul says, it kind of has his final instructions, but it's in connection with everything else that he has been saying up to this point. And Paul says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer. I went back and looked at some of the messages that we have done over the last couple of years, and man, we have talked about prayer a lot in here. 
We have talked about it and talked about it. We have taught about it and taught about it. We've talked about why we pray. We've talked about what prayer is. We've talked about how to pray. And I thought, man, this is a verse I get to preach on this week. I'm going to be another guy that says some other things about prayer, and people are going to automatically turn this off. And I had this kind of thought, though. Uh, two things sort of popped into it. One, I'm not really saying anything about prayer. Paul's the one that told us to do it, and that's what we're going to pay attention to. And two, oh well. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's in there. <laughs> we got to address this. We got we to lend ourselves to this. Now, if we just treat this like flyover country, you might have the same mindset that I have had in the past about Scripture that's like this. Paul says to continue steadfastly in prayer. He says some other things like that in some other letters that he talks about. He talks about praying without ceasing. He talks about praying continually. And I sit there and go, Paul, are you talking about that I need to be down on my face and praying all day, every day? I've got to tell you, that actually sounds kind of good. But Paul, I've got bills to pay, man. I've got meals to eat. I've got kids to take care of. I've got people to visit with. I've got things I want to do. Like, do I really need to be on my face all day, every day? And that's the mentality we have if we're only looking at this from a 30,000-foot view. But if we connect it to everything else that Paul has been saying right now, and he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, he's saying this in light of this new life that you have in Christ, in light of this new self that you've discovered in Christ, in light of this new identity that you have in Christ, devoted wholly to communion with the Lord, that there is never a time when you are not in connection with the living God. Continue steadfastly in prayer, a life devoted to that communion with the Lord. Now, how many of us hear the word prayer and we actually approach it like it's a performance? You know what I mean? I've prayed in front of people many times. I'll do it again later uh, at the end of this sermon. Um, I've prayed in front of groups many times. I've prayed out loud many times. And I'll tell you, it is real tempting to think of it as a performance. That in my prayer, I need to say something that's meaningful to the people that are around me praying with me. But there's danger in thinking of it as a performance, isn't there? We miss the point of continuing steadfastly in prayer. There's a movie that came out a long time ago. Um, I say a long time ago, it doesn't feel like a long time ago, but it came out a long time ago. I'm going to tell you the name of the movie, but I need you to know I'm not endorsing the movie, okay? I'm telling you the name of the movie because many of you have seen this movie, and there's a scene in this movie that probably resonates with you because I know that it resonates with me sometimes. The name of the movie is Meet the Parents, and kind of the setup of this is the guy is going to meet his girlfriend's parents. He wants to marry this lady. He's meeting them for the very first time. They're sitting down having the first meal that they've ever had together, and they actually ask him to pray before the meal. Now, he does not do this ever. And so he's, sure, I'll do this. He's taking on because he wants to impress his parents. It has become a performance. Oh, dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, O oh sweet, sweet Lord, O oh sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord that you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day, day by day, by day. O oh dear Lord, three things we pray, to love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, and to follow thee more nearly day by day, 
by day. Amen. Man, we laugh at that because we're like, yeah, that's, that's probably what I'd be saying, something like that too. If I were to go out here and say, hey, I'm just going to pick one of you. I need you to come up here, and I want you to pray for us right now. You all would be having a panic attack because it feels like a performance sometimes. But that's not what Paul's talking about to the Colossians. He says, remain steadfastly in prayer. Martin Luther, years and years and years ago, was trying to teach a friend of his how to pray. He was asking, his friend was asking him, how do we pray? And he was trying to lead him through the Lord's Prayer. And he, he was teaching him, and it actually became kind of a sermon or a, 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 an organized lesson for him. And the title of it is called A Simple Way to Pray. And the premise of this is Martin Luther was trying to give him the words. This is how, what you're supposed to say when you pray. And here's his simple way of praying. O oh, dear Lord, God and Father, thou seest how worldly wisdom and reason not only profane thy name and ascribe thy honor due to thee, to lies and to the devil, but how they also take the power, might, wealth, and glory which thou hast given them on earth for ruling the world, and thus serving thee, and use it in their own ambition to oppose thy kingdom. They are many and mighty. They plague and hinder thy tiny flock of thy kingdom who art weak, despised and few. Does that sound simple to you? Man, how many of us think of prayer that way, though, that there's some kind of magical language or the right combination of words that we can then unlock something mystical with God? I grew up thinking that there was a magic prayer language and that I would never speak, be able to speak it. As a matter of fact, I think the only one that understands that is probably Shakespeare. But we're not praying to him. There's a man named Mitch Finley who uh, he's a Catholic man. He's writing to some priests that he knows. And he, he writes this work called Lay People Shouldn't Pray Like Monks. And he argues and contests that the bedrock principle upon which any person's approach to prayer should be this. Pray when you can, where you can, and how you can. And I think this is what Paul's getting us into right here. When he says to pray steadfastly. How many of us, though, when we think of it as a performance or we think of it as these magic words that we're going to say, how many of us, though, only communicate to God then when we want something from him? And keep in mind, I'm not saying we shouldn't go with requests or petitions. There's scripture all over the place that talks about it. As a matter of fact, we're going to read some here in just a second. But the only time we try to connect with God is when we want something. Imagine your kids only talking to you when they need money. Right? Or imagine this, what if I were to only talk to my wife and say nice things to her when I want something from her? Hey, babe, your hair looks awesome today. I want to go golf with my friends over here. And it would be a dire mistake if we think that we can manipulate God with our magic words in our performance. Billy Graham was asked to be interviewed on a show on CBS back in 1982. And uh, Billy and his team traveled to uh, the studio at CBS. They got there in the morning. And when they got there, one of the assistants at the studio said, good morning. He was talking to one of Billy Graham's assistants. And he said, hey, we set up a room over here so Billy can pray before he goes and does this interview. And Graham's assistant looked at the studio assistant. He said, I thank you very much, but we don't need that room. And that studio assistant looked at him very, very confused. He said, why would Billy Graham not pray before he does an interview on national TV? And Graham's assistant looked at him and said, 
you're misunderstanding. When Billy Graham woke up this morning, he started praying. When he was eating his breakfast, he was praying. On the car ride over here, he was in prayer. And right now, as we're having this conversation, he is praying. See, he got something. He understood something about this. We are steadfastly in connection and in communion with the living God. And he says in this steadfastness in prayer, in this life devoted to prayer, that that we are depending on God wholly. And he says to do this with an attitude of thanksgiving and with watchfulness, in alertness. Now, this attitude of thanksgiving is very interesting because, again, if we're only flying over this, we might skip this part. Yeah, 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 I'm supposed to be thankful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But thanksgiving, when we're giving thanks to God, it is showing our dependence on him. We're realizing that he's God, I'm not, and the good things and the things of life come from him, and we thank you for that. Now, if you've ever taken any of my classes, you've heard me talk about bookends endlessly. And there's this way of approaching the scripture, particularly the letters in the New Testament, when you're trying to figure out what this author's trying to say, look what he says at the beginning of the letter, look what he says at the end of the letter, and you might get it. For instance, if you were to take the book of Colossians and you put it all on one piece of paper, which I did right here, and you're going to have to take my word for it because I know you can't read it because it's too tiny, and I can't read it, and it's right in front of me, all right? But if you're to take our verse that we were looking at right here, and I know I've marked it right here, and you were to fold it over, this is the bookend, and you fold it over to the first bookend of Colossians, you will see that it lines up almost perfectly with chapter 1, verse 3. And in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul tells the Colossian church, every time we pray for you, we thank God for you. Thanksgiving is an important attitude that we have in our life devoted totally in communion with the Lord. And he says to do this with watchfulness, with alertness. Isaac Watts talks about a couple of ways, a couple of things that we need to keep in mind when we approach God in prayer. And when we live this life devoted to prayer, he says one of these things that we need to pay attention to is we need to pray with skill. What's he talking about here? He says skill is the readiness of thought consistent with the things of God in order to express those thoughts to God. And what he means by this is that we are alert and watching for the way that God is operating in our lives. And we're alert and watching the way his word comes to life in our lives so that we don't miss it and we can express those same thoughts to God. That we're alert, we're paying attention. And he says that we also ought to approach him in grace. And what he means by that is that it graces the inner workings of the heart and conscience toward God and our life of faith. In other words, that we desire our hearts to be lined up with the living Lord. And when our desire of our heart is to line up with the living Lord, we're able to be aware and alert for the way that God is working in our lives and in the lives around us. And that informs our approach to God. And we can then be steadfast in the Lord. Now, just besides being steadfast in the Lord, Paul says, while you're doing that, hey, I've got some things for you to pray about. And he gives us his requests. Look what he says in the next couple of verses. He says in verse 3, At the same time, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, this is kind of a big deal here. Paul His request is, while you're at this steadfastness in prayer, would you bring our team up before him? 
He says, pray for us also. Who's us? Next week, Andy is going to mention some of the us. He's going to mention names like Paul and Timothy and Epaphras, Tychicus, Onesimus, Mark, Justice, Luke, and Demas. See, these were all part of Paul's team on Paul's mission. But here's the thing. Paul and his team believe that the mission that they were on is actually God's mission. And it's this mission to take this truth to the world that hasn't been able to experience it yet. He says, pray that a door would be open for the word. And the focus is that this word of God is active and it's powerful. And it's powerful to save and it's powerful to transform the lives of those who haven't been able to experience it yet. Now, this is where context matters for us. You see, Paul was preaching in the Roman world. And for Christianity to exist in the Roman Empire was a very odd and strange thing because Christianity only worshipped one God. And the official state religion of the Roman Empire was very much polytheistic. And it was really, really weird for those Christians to only approach one God. You see, their mentality was this, that they would approach a God of a particular flavor, all right, that I need help with my, with my business, or I need help with my farm, or I need help with my family, or something like this. And there was different gods for that. And you approach those gods, and they had this limited amount of blessing to be able to pour on you. So if these cups were to represent the people of the Roman Empire, they would come to that God and say, man, if you have found any favor in me, would you pour some of your blessing that way? But it's limited, and so when these gods would pour these, this favor on you, it was based on how much you earned it or deserved it. But the more they poured in here, the less that pitcher would be filled. And so it kind of created this weird social dynamic. There was a zero-sum game when it, come, when it came to religion in the Roman Empire. Because if I was able to get some stuff and some blessing in my cup, and this was starting to lower and you were to take your cup, and you were trying to get some from there, you may not be able to find it from there, so you got to come and try to take mine. It was a zero-sum game, because there was limited blessing, limited uh, favor from each of these gods. And Paul says, would you pray for me that a door would be open so I can show a much greater way than this? He says, pray for us as we do this. Pray for us as we do this. Paul's mission is to demonstrate the endless grace and love of God to a world that thinks it's depleted, that thinks it's limited, that thinks there's not enough to go around. Here's the catch. Paul's mission is not only God's mission, but it's our mission as well. And so when we pray for Paul, we're praying for those who are bringing a wor uh, the word of God, hopefully to an open door that's ready to hear it. This whole letter has been about equipping the Colossian faithful to live in a way that it's evident that we've been tagged by the grace of God. Give us that opportunity, Paul says. Listen to how he explains this to the Ephesians. He says in chapter 1, starting at verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Did you catch that? That the riches of God's grace is not limited, but it's lavished on us. It's more than we need. It's lavished on us. And Paul says, 
pray for us as we take that word to a, to a world that's depleted that a door would be open. I wish I could express what I just read in Ephesians in a powerful way. I wish I could take this and just put that so that you could have a light bulb moment. Pray for God to open this up to us. You see, Paul prays for clarity in the way that he presents this message too. That I'm not just standing up and saying words, but it will be in a way that that open door can hear it. That that open door can receive it. That, man, in a world that kind of mixes that up, that they would begin to experience the lavished riches of God's grace for themselves. Paul's request here, though he is in prison, is not that he would be released or that his situation would be made nicer. His request is for clarity in the opportunities that he's seeking to present God's word. He says, I want to declare the mystery of Christ. And here's the mystery. Andy talked about this a few weeks ago. Very simply this. Christ died for all so that we can participate in the riches of God's mercy and the riches of God's grace and the riches of God's kindness and life to the full. That's it. That's the mystery. And the reason why it's a mystery is because many of us don't get it. Many of us, just, that just doesn't make any sense to us. But Paul says, pray for us as we do that. Pray for us on that mission. Well, he gives us a couple more instructions in connection with that. He says this in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul's mission is our mission. So we walk in wisdom, or we pray that we walk in wisdom. What does that mean? To walk in wisdom is simply this. It's to live the spiritual wisdom that is centered in Christ. It's not just trying to figure out the right thing or the smart thing to do. It is seeking Christ in these things. It's to live in such a way that even those unfamiliar with Jesus would understand that, man, we have experienced something quite different than the rest of the world around us. That we walk in that wisdom around outsiders. He says that we ought to make the most of every opportunity. How do we make the most of every opportunity? He already told us. He said, be alert. He said, be watchful. He said, pay attention. Opportunity exists all around us to demonstrate our interaction with the grace of God. And we are to make the most of each of those opportunities. We don't wait for it to fall in our lap. It's already fallen. We already have it. We have the opportunities. And so for us, as we live this steadfast life in prayer, we seek God to help us to, uh, to take advantage of those opportunities, to present this goodness that comes with the riches of God's grace. Uh, weeks ago, Andy was giving his testimony at the end of one of his sermons, and he said at the end of it, my testimony is simply this, I just want you to know the God that I know. And man, I gotta tell you, that our experience with God's grace, one of the evidences that we have encountered the grace of God is that we want you to know the grace of God. I cannot express how vital this is. He says, in your speech, make sure that it's full of grace and seasoned with salt. This is a theme that Paul has revisited over and over and over in Colossians, this grace of God, that we speak in grace and we season it with salt. It's not uh, just something that we add on or tag on to the end of a sermon, but it is the very foundation of who we are, this grace of God. It is the identifying mark of each and every one of us. 
in the Roman world, it was a very drastically different thing to know that you get to tap into the grace of the living God and there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's no work you can do to get more of it. It's already gifted to us. No amount of work will ever result in his grace and favor. And it's a drastically different thing to live from the grace of God than it is to try to live toward it. And man, we are to take advantage of those opportunities to describe that and to, to catch on to this. And the reality is, this gospel that Paul has asked us to pray for him about is that we don't approach it the same way the Romans were approaching it. Not begging for this, this, this favor. It's to recognize we already have it because we don't come to God if this guy represents us. We don't come to God saying, would you please fill my little cup? Because God said, I've lavished this on you. In other words, we're swimming in it. That the grace of God is what gets seen far above you and I. That's the taking advantage of those opportunities. And man, if there's anything I could in, just instill into the church at South, Rock, at South Rock Christian Church is that we would realize that gift that God has given us and start living from it. But he says make sure that grace is seasoned with salt. And what he means by that is we still speak truth, that we still speak the things of God so that we can live from the things of God. Now, there have been some of us occasionally that have actually uh, spoken in saltiness seasoned with grace. And we got to repent from that because we've mixed up the order here. But we speak grace seasoned with salt. But the other half of that's true too. Some of us have received the salt and it stings. And maybe it's worth saying, do I have some open wounds that that salt is stinging in? Um, maybe that salt should sting me a little bit. But salt... When it hits us, it's supposed to sting. There's a healing element in salt, and that's what's happening. We are healing because of the truth of God. And we ought to let that play out. We ought to let that hit us in that way. It is said that salt helps create conditions that make it difficult for bacteria to grow and infection to spread. Sometimes we need to hear the truth of God and let it sting us a little bit so that that bacteria can die and that we can prevent any more spiritual infection from happening. It stings to realize our own shortcomings, but it's healthy for us to realize our own shortcomings. Let God's truth be the thing that heals us. You see, faithful people are people devoted to prayer. We, the faithful people are the ones that pray when we can, where we can, and however we can. But we're also people of purpose. We desire the world around us to know the God that we know. And that might mean we need to draw nearer to God so that we can take more advantage of the opportunities that God puts in front of us. See, the truth of Jesus Christ has always messed with the world. It's always messed with the world. But the reality is, our world is already messy. And we believe that we have the solution to that. And it's Jesus Christ and the richness of the grace that he demonstrates and pours and lets us swim in over and over and over again. See, Paul reminds the Colossians of this. Jesus is all-sufficient. He is the Lord above all, and we want you to know that. 
the heart that Paul has as the pastor to this church is the same heart that we have been trying to express in the best way we can and in the clearest way that we know how. We want you to know the grace of God, and it didn't cost you, it cost him, so that we can now start living from it. And it's going to sting for a second, but it's going to be better when it's all said and done because the spiritual infection that we've been living in is going to stop when we allow the grace and salt of Jesus Christ to work itself in us. We've been praying for you for these opportunities to present it clearly, and we won't back away from God's truth, but that truth is founded in the grace of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm not going to pray in a way that we're performing anything here. I'm going to pray that God would hit us right where we are, and if it stings, let it sting. And if you're wrestling with that sting because of that salt, we got some folks over there that would love to pray with you about that, and they would love to walk with you with that. Um, And so take advantage of that. And if there's things that are going on that you just need help praying with, because we're people who uh, have proclaimed that we're steadfast in prayer, we want to pray with you there too. Go take advantage of that. Let me pray for us right now. Lord, we come before you. Some of us are coming before you incredibly raw that we hear these words, uh, be steadfast in prayer. And honestly, we've been pretty steadfast in avoiding it. So God, would you help convict our hearts to repent from that? And some of us have so much fear because of the things that are going on in the world around us that we would rather tell everybody that they're wrong rather than introduce them to your grace. Would you help us to reverse that as well? And Lord, I, I pray for the one that's, that's wrestling with this right now. I pray for clarity of the good news that you have for each and every one of us. God, that your gospel would clearly demonstrate the love that you have so that we can live from that pool and not try to figure out a way to jump into it. But Lord, Jesus Christ is sufficient for everything. He's the Lord of all of it. And he demonstrated that on the cross by dying for our sin, borrowing the tomb for a few days, And Lord, because of the resurrection, we come before you with hope, knowing that you've authored life and life to the full. Would you help us to be tagged by that? Would you help us to swim in that truth? And God, that we would do that in a way that we want everyone around us to know that as well. Lord, thanks for that grace for us. Thanks for the kindness you give to us, even uh, times that we don't think about it or deserve it or even feel it. Lord, it's still there that your truth is the only truth that exists. We love you, Jesus. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.